the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Welcome into another edition of the Steelers Standard. I am Tom Opferman. With me, as always, is Jacob Recht. Got a lot to dive into as we inch our way closer to the Las Vegas Raiders making their way to town for the home opener at Heinz Field this Sunday. The Steelers, obviously, big, big win against the Buffalo Bills last Sunday up in Orchard Park, New York. Uh, stealing one. A lot of people thought the Bills would end up winning that game in their uh, beginning of the season predictions for the Steelers. So Steelers definitely come away with a surprising result there. That being said, I still think there is room for improvement on this Steelers team. So in this episode, hmm. we're going to dive into some of the things that we think they definitely need to still improve if they want to build off of that big win against Buffalo. And I think the obvious one is the running game and Najee Harris. So we'll get to that in a little bit. The one I wanted to start with, though, is getting these tight ends more involved in the football game, more involved in the offensive game plan. The two, I would say Chase Claypool's pass was the third one, but the two most downfield passes that the Steelers had against the Bills came to Ebron, came to Pat Fryermuth mm -hmm. in the middle of the field. Now, obviously the Bills boast a pretty good inside linebacker tandem with Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. I think that changes a little bit when the Vegas Raiders come to town this week. I think K.J. Wright, the signing that they had right before the season started, is a solid linebacker. But other than that, there's nothing really to write home about in that linebacker core. I think the tight ends could have a field day in the middle of the field, and I want them to be a more part of the game plan this week, and I want them to continue to be more part of the game plan moving forward all year long. Yeah, I think really, and we could talk about this later, there's only one guy you have to plan for in that. Raiders defense and that's Max Crosby but he won't be covering or assigned to cover at least I hope any of the receiving options whether it's the receivers or the tight ends so I do think that even though KJ Wright was an unexpected good signing by the Raiders typically you see John Gruden getting rid of guys in order to, to get more money or to get more draft picks uh, for him to go out there and get KJ Wright was to me a sign of good things to come for the Raiders because uh, they're only, what, three years into his 10-year deal, um, and that won't be ending uh, any time before that 10 years is up. We expect that to be the truth. So K.J. Wright, definitely a good addition. And, yeah, Tom, I was very impressed. Ebron had one drop, I think, mm -hmm. in the Bills game, but that was about it. It wasn't as costly or it wasn't as memorable. It's as not an egregious drop. It yeah. wasn't as bad as the drop that we saw in the Detroit preseason right. game when Ben ran about 50 yards scrambling to get out of the pocket or to get, to get away from de defenders, only to throw it to Ebron, who was wide open or it had the wide open window and dropped the ball. This I don't think this was as nearly as bad. And yeah, as you said, we all remember the Deontay touchdown catch and the Claypool sideline catch, but Ebron, I think his catch came on a very clutch third down conversion. And the Pat Fryer move definitely came on a scoring drive. So both came as effective plays to to help progress the Steelers' efforts to win that game. And I would definitely like to see them get more involved. I think when you talk about this offense being at its peak uh, potential, that has to include Ebron and Fryermuth being available as receiving options, not just guys who can help lead the way for the offensive line and add extra protection. Three targets total between the two of them. They each had one catch. Fryermuth 24 yards. 
uh, Ebron, 19 yards. I, I just like to see those targets go up more. And you can say, you know, hey, maybe they recovered. Maybe they weren't open. Maybe the scheme wasn't designed for them to be the first or even second option for Ben on those plays. And I'm saying to you then, I think that needs to change. You need to scheme up some things to make them the number one option on some plays. I think the middle of the field is going to be wide open against the Vegas Raiders. And I think Fryermuth and Ebron are mismatched nightmares for really a lot of defenses in the league. But I think that especially rings true for this Raiders game coming up. So you, you used your second-round pick on Fryermuth. You went out in free agency a year prior and spent money on Eric Ebron. I used them uh, accordingly. And honestly... I think I'm already ready to flip the 1A and 1B designation between the two. Still think they're both number one tight ends, but I think it was kind of 1A, Ebron, 1B, Fryermuth. I'm ready to go 1A, Fryermuth. When the Steelers were running the ball, Fryermuth was, for the most part, their tight end, except for when they were down on the goal line and they handed the ball off to Najee Harris and they decided to run off of Ebron's side and Ebron got blown off the ball and Najee Harris lost a yard and could mm-hmm. not get in the end zone. Can't run behind Eric Ebron. It's just not possible. And because of that, I would flip the 1A, 1B designation. Fryermuth is the starter. He's out there for running downs. He's out there for passing downs. And Ebron is the guy you kind of supplement. Uh, in and out throughout the game. Yeah, I'm totally cool with that, and, and we I know exactly which play you're talking about. Kind of reminded you of the uh, tight end blocking abilities of Tim Tebow almost. When, it was what bad. Was, what we saw in the preseason. It's just kind of a shame how, e- not I don't want to be too harsh here on Ebron, but it does limit your running ability because we know how inexperienced the offensive line already is, and when you add, some, when you add an additional piece, but it's not going to really help you, it's... I don't really see the point in doing so, so I have no problem of switching the 1A, 1B designation. It's not really a demotion for Eric Ebron because they're both still 1A, 1B. It's just you want to see Frymuth out there for the more impactful plays on the run game. And by doing so, you have to make him that 1A guy. Yeah, and, and with that Ebron play where he got blown back and, and Najee couldn't get in the end zone, you know, people might be saying, well, it's no surprise that Eric Ebron can't block. We've known that for the past two years, and if you followed the NFL as a fan, you've known that for his entire career over Detroit, Indy, and now Pittsburgh. But you can't just be at the line, and if that's the way that you know Canada sees, uh, that's the easiest path to the end zone, according mm-hmm. to Canada, or Ben sees something over there, and he says that's the way we need to run the ball, you can't go, oh, well, 85's over there, so never mind. Even though the defense is showing us you know, a vulnerability on that side, I can't risk running to his side. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not able to play at the NFL if they're trying to you know, tailor their game plan around you. You have to be able to be a part of that, and it did not work out for Ebron in that circumstance. I, I think you throw Fryermuth into that, into that more often moving forward. I think he's a better run-blocking tight end already. And he's really not that far behind as a pass catcher. I was just going to go there, Tom. I don't even know if he's necessarily behind as a pass catcher. Because the game he had against Detroit, even though it was against Detroit, a team that got blown up for, what, 44 points against San Francisco uh, just in week one, uh, that game, and then, yes, he only had the one catch, but he looked solid. I mean, he let the ball come to him. He did the right thing. He did. It was a very Heath Miller-like play. It was over the middle. It wasn't too deep. But the yak and, and, and the effort by the defense to bring him down wasn't easy. And it, it reminded me a lot of Heath Miller. And I think Ben probably thought the same thing. Like, look at this guy. He's doing exactly what I did for, what, 10-plus years, 2005 to 2016? 
That's exactly what he loved out of Heath Miller. And I think that if you establish that relationship early on, if you make that swap as early as you can between Fryermuth and Ebron between 1A, 1B, I really think you can allow Fryermuth to grow a lot more than a typical tight end can do in their first season in the NFL. Sticking with the passing game, Ben Roethlisberger released the ball on average 2.3 seconds fastest release time of any quarterback in the NFL for week one. That sounds familiar. It sounds exactly like last year. Uh, That's great as far as keeping your quarterback upright and neutralizing the pass rush, something they'll definitely have their hands full with uh, Max Crosby and the Raiders this week. But it's bad as far as pushing the ball down the field and having those deep shots. And according to Next Gen Stats, Ben Roethlisberger did not have a ball that traveled in the air more than 20 yards once in this game against the Raiders. Obviously, you're sitting there saying, well, Pat Frymuth had a catch for 24 yards. Yes, yards after catch helped him get over that 20 yards on that reception. And the Claypool one was close. That was real close to 20 yards I in the air. I think it was probably I think it was 18, 19, 19 or 18 yeah. yards in the air. And then Claypool like rolled forward for an extra three yards to make it a 22-yard gain. But the fact that he didn't have one pass that traveled 20 yards in the air is a Not little... Not even an incompletion. It's a little bit... Can, yeah, that's a great point, Jacob. He didn't even throw deep and just overthrow Deontay Johnson and, and miss him. He, he didn't even try it once. And maybe that's something that he saw in the Bills that, you know, I don't need to push the ball downfield. And maybe against the Raiders, you'll start seeing him do it more. I certainly hope so. It's that catch-22 that they're going to fall into. Yeah, it's great right. that he releases the ball fast. He stays upright. and No team, no matter how prolific their pass rush is, can really get to Ben, even though our line is mediocre because he's just the ball's out before they can even get there. But, you know, you're playing with fire if you only throw the ball 15 yards downfield as your deepest ball. No, it was incredibly disappointing. I mean, as you said, the catch-22. But in my mind, it's not so much that that being the case because to me I'd rather kind of have that ability to throw the ball deep I get that I think I saw a next-gen stat or a PFF stat saying the Steelers had the least amount of QB pressures allowed among all 32 NFL teams but that came at the hands of the ball release time by Ben Roethlisberger it's going to be a lot it's going to be a, a very easy day for the offensive line to know that they can stop pressure from being forced onto Ben if he's getting rid of the ball that quickly. So it's it's not necessarily a clear complementary staff for the offensive line because it's not so much to to be dependent on them as much as it, as it is as Ben's ball release time. So, yes, it, it's good to know that there were not a ton of pressures, only two sacks, which... I mean, we know they led the league in sacks allowed last year, but again, that came at the hands of Ben getting the ball out so fast. But why not? I don't understand why. You know, we kind of made fun of, or even Tomlin joked a little bit about Dwayne Haskins being the checkdown guy uh, in the preseason. But at least, you know, that meant that he was going through all of his options. He was reading the field. I don't know if Ben's even doing that. I think what Ben, it by it was exhibited that, in his quick release time, he's kind of looking at one, maybe two options per play, and that's it, and he's just getting rid of the ball as fast as he can. And when he's doing so, he's not even looking for his deep option. It just didn't work last year. You know, we, we did this whole thing last year where at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. yeah, 11-0 start. Oh, my God, Ben looks great. He's an MVP candidate. He's not turning the ball over. He's super efficient. And then John Harbaugh and the Ravens said, well, well wait a minute. I know why he's super efficient. 
It's because we're putting all these guys covering the deep route back, and that, that's useless. We're basically taking two or three guys out of the defense every single time because mm-hmm. Ben's not even really looking that way for the most part. So Ravens in that COVID game that was way closer for comfort for Steelers fans were able to disrupt the Steelers offense, and then a week later the Washington football team utilizing that same game plan or at least drawing from it, we're able to hand the Steelers their first loss, and you all know what happened from there. Steelers lose four out of their last five games, including the playoff game against the Cleveland Browns. Very upsetting end of the season. You don't want to see that same motion picture play out this year, and unfortunately in week one against the Bills, it kind of happened, and if I'm the Raiders watching film, I'm saying, let's see what the Ravens did last year. If I'm Gruden... And maybe he's not doing this because I think he's not that great of a coach. But if I was Gruden and I was a good coach, I'd be going to my film crew and I'd be saying, hey, I want to see obviously film from Steelers Bills, but I want to see film from Ravens Steelers. I want to see film from Washington football team Steelers last year. Because even though Najee Harris wasn't a factor last year for this team, if they're going to treat their passing game like they did against Buffalo against us in Mm -hmm. week two, I think that I can draw from those two games and and figure out a pretty nice game plan to slow them down. So you're playing with fire, man. It's not going to take uh, 12 weeks into the season Harbaugh to figure it out this time. It's going to come a lot faster this year if, indeed, this is the route you're going to go again with the short passes, the quick releases, and, and you know trying to just get your ball into playmakers' hands and let them take it with yards after the catch rather than bomb the ball down the field with air yardage. Mm-hmm. I mean, you laid it out. Once we got to the end of the season, once the Baltimore Ravens B or C team was able to figure out those, the Steelers winning formula, it took the very next week against Washington's football team to beat the Steelers, and then it happened again against Cincinnati. It happened again two more times throughout the rest of the season. It's not going to take until week 12, week 13 for teams to figure out this offense if, if it's going to pick up where I left off from 2020 is from the end of 2020 more specifically. And I do think that John Gruden, despite what we question about his coaching abilities is able to recognize that, Hey, they went 11 and 0 and then four and five or or, or three and four, four and five, including the playoffs. What changed? Oh, people were getting to them and, and understanding their, their passing schemes. We, and when we saw that on full, on full strength last week when Ben was getting rid of the ball that fast. I think we can figure out some type of winning formula here. And, I mean, we can talk about this later too, but it always does seem that the Raiders are, are, are the one team that even though they don't, they're not mm-hmm. so great every year, they, they, they chuck up five or six or seven wins. They're just that one of those Achilles heel teams to the Steelers team. They absolutely are. They give the Steelers fits. They've won three of the last four games against the Steelers. It, it's... It's certainly not a team that you like to see lining up across from you if you're mm-hmm. a Steelers fan. Because I feel better the than reason it's in w- Pittsburgh because Ben has never won. I mean, not in Oakland, maybe even once, but he he struggled mightily on the road against them. Yes, and it's important to remember the reason why it's so extra frustrating is because this isn't like a Ravens game where you walk away with a loss and you can kind. Of, you're very upset, of course, but you're kind of like okay, pretty equal teams. Almost every single time the Steelers play the Raiders, they're favored, especially in the past decade or two, uh, and they're favored pretty handsomely, including this weekend with a a five-and-a-half-point favorite right now. So that's where I think people really pull their hair out is, why does this team give us so much trouble? 
and you really hope that that's not the case come Sunday. But I, I agree with you about Gruden that, you know, even though he is a bit of a questionable head coach right now, he's not an Urban Meyer. He's not someone that's absolutely clueless. I mean, he's got a Super Bowl ring. I still think he can scheme up a really good offense, but you're right. He's he's not going to just completely ignore, you know, oh, let's watch these, you know, strategies to stop the Steelers and, and oh, what did the Bills do badly? Why did they why did they give the Steelers so many intermediate routes? Let's take take those away. I think you'll see Gruden definitely try to implement that a little bit more. But one thing that is different from last year, of course, is Najee Harris, and that's supposed to help with this passing game and, and help take away some of that pressure from Ben. Uh, wasn't the greatest debut for Najee. He really struggled in that first half of football. He started to come alive a little bit in the second half as the team did as well. I think their yards per rush average started to creep towards five mm-hmm. in the second half of that game after being closer to one in the first half. But he finished with 16 carries for 45 yards. He played every single snap that he possibly could play in so his NFL question. debut. Which stat do you care for more? Which one carries more weight? Only 16 carries or playing 100% of the snaps? Because I remember at some point we were saying, uh, I, I forget which preseason, preseason game it was, we were saying how if, if Najee Harris reaches, you know, anywhere close to 10 carries per game, you got to be concerned because that should never happen with a guy like Najee Harris in your backfield. And that kind of happened. Only 16 carries. And he had, se- what I think it was seven carries for eight yards in the first half. That is as bad as a start to an NFL career as you could ask for it. Now, we know he improved on that a little bit, especially coming with a, what, a 15-yard run on their one of their last two field goal drives, I think it was, or maybe the Deontay touchdown drive. I'm not sure exactly which. But still, to only have 16 carries against a, a, a Bills defensive line without one of their starters and and seemingly one of their weaker units on defense compared to their linebackers in their secondary, you would have thought that the Steelers could have run the ball more. We know they got down early, but it was only by 10 points in the first half. It was three points for basically the entirety of the first half. So I'm just curious to uh, to know your answer, Tom. Do you think 100% of the snaps outweighs the only limited 16 carries or vice versa? Well, I think 100 snaps indicates that he's going to be the workhorse this year. Tom's mm-hmm. going to ride him right into the ground like he loves to do with feature backs. And i got to be honest with you, I don't know if I agree with that just because of his rookie status. You know, Rookie wall is a real thing. We debated that about Chase Claypool a lot last year. You only play 12 games, 13 games max in college. It's a 16-game schedule in the NFL. Whoops, we just added a game. So now it's 17 games that he's got to play this year. And then get ready for the playoffs. And, and you know, we didn't see Balazs once. We didn't see Snell once on the offensive side of the ball. And I guess I get that if Anthony McFarlane was available, that you would see him and, and Harris would come out for some of those packages. So hopefully that happens in the future. But uh, I think that, you know, playing him every single snap and and riding him into the ground that might work for the first 12 13 weeks of the season but you might see him start to sputter out a little bit down the stretch or maybe you won't maybe he's made for the nfl time we'll tell about that i i kind of think you know yeah you'd rather see him in the 20s with his carries 23 24 carries for this game I'm not that upset with 16. I think it could have been a lot yeah. less. I, I think they could have stopped at that 7 or 8 number in the first half and, and just, just been like, it. we're done, can't run the ball. 
we're losing in the game. We got to pass anyway. So I, I think that that's something they could have fallen into. So I am at least somewhat happy that they decided to run the ball seven or eight more times in the second half, and and Najee started to get his footing a little bit. I think that that's big moving forward. I, I guess what my answer would be to your question is the the one that jumps out to me the most is the every single snap 100%. because I think that tells you what they're going to plan to use Najee like for the rest of the year, and it's it's workhorse and it's. It's like they did with Le'Veon Bell. I mean, you're going to be running to the ground. That's how I like to treat my feature backs if I'm Mike Tomlin. But even when Le'Veon Bell was there for that two-year period, you were still seeing some D'Angelo Williams. Yes, you were. That's very fair, and that's why I think when Tony Mack comes back, you'll start to see him supplement Najee Harris's workload just just slightly, not not in a crazy amount. You believe that to be true with even when he before he got placed on IR, it was still Benny Snell who got the number two spot? I think that the Benny Snell being in the number two spot on the depth chart was a sign that Tony Mack was going to be sent to the IR. Either that or it was a sign that if Harris went down with an injury, Snell was the first one up to okay. get the, the feature back workload. Not and necessarily then, when Najee takes a playoff or, or the play calls for a different back. No, because the yeah. change of pace back is McFarland. Right. That's the one that gives the defense a different look. Snell's mm-hmm. just a, you know run forward into a brick wall and try to knock some guy over and gain five yards. Or go on special teams and actually knock Absolutely some guy over. Absolutely blow somebody up. You know what? That's where Benny Snell made this football team, mm-hmm. too. Tomlin loves football players, and Benny Snell is a football player. He's a really good cover special teams guy because when you're as fast as a running back but you hit like you're a linebacker, that's a really good combination for your special teams play. So that's, that's obviously why I made it. But, yeah, I think he's number two on the depth chart because he'll get first crack at being the number one guy if, God forbid, Najee Harris were to go down. Uh, but even then, you'd see a split between him and Balaj. I think it would be kind of a you know everybody has their hand in the pile to try to make up for this loss. I'm a little surprised we didn't see any any Balaj at all. Yeah, yeah, that's the one thing I think. Uh, Tim Tim Benz on the uh, countdown the kickoff last night was saying that too. It's like a little bit surprising that there was not even like a couple carries thrown his way, Kalen especially Balazs, when Najee wasn't really getting things going. Exactly, Kalen Balaj, as we've said before, is a starter. Was a starter for an NFL team before. Like, we saw Kenyon Drake on the Monday night game go in for plays for Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, much younger, much more spry, but Kenyon Drake was a starter for the Arizona Cardinals. I don't understand why, if Najee Harris isn't getting it done, I, I, I do think maybe Tomlin, not living in his fears, this doesn't fall into that category, but just so determined to, to stick with one game plan when it comes to the workhorse type of running back. But I, I always harp back to the fact that D'Angelo Williams, when he was there, would get a carry here and there. So I don't understand why that didn't happen, especially as you laid it out with the extra season or with the extra game this season. Najee being a rookie, used to only playing 13 or so games. Granted, he was playing in Alabama, so really at the end of it, they were playing about 15 games. Yeah. But still, you you were you're running into you're not used to playing minimum 17 games plus postseason. Don't forget too at Alabama, yeah, you play 15 games, but your break between game 13 and game 14 is it's a month. A long. month. So you get pretty Good much point. a whole time to reset Good your point. body. That ain't happening in the NFL. They like to play their playoffs the week after the regular and season. And when ends. you're when you're Alabama, you're playing teams like the Citadel and the scores. At the very end of the year, yeah. 56 not Furman's coming to yeah. town to close out the schedule. You don't even have to play the second half of that game. Yeah, that's a good point. Defensively, what do you even say? 
Like, what do they even need to do to improve? I think that they did everything perfectly. Try harder, hit harder. I, I don't know. Get more you know, sacks. It's, like, it, it's incredible, too, is that we were saying about T.J. Watt last year, the numbers were great, the performance was great. The one thing that was missing that we are used to seeing is the forced fumbles. What does he do? Force His first sack of the year is a strip sack. He's on pace for 17 forced fumbles now <laughs> this year, so he's definitely— He's on pace for 34 sacks He's this definitely uh, back— in black as far as that's concerned. I um, One thing I, I did notice, and it didn't cost the Steelers in this game, and I think that was the Bills' fault and their coaching's fault, the run defense wasn't amazing. The Bills didn't try to run the ball much. They only had 25 carries. Nine of those were Josh Allen just scrambling for 44 yards. But they gave up 117 yards on the ground, a 4.7 average. Singletary had 11 carries for 72 yards on a 6.5 average. Two Big runs came after the Steelers went up 10 after the block punt. And right. I believe they tallied 40 rushing and, yards. And that came at the end of the game. And, yes, we can say that McDermott made some questionable calls, case in point, that fourth down pass that Cam Sutton broke up. But I think you have to give him some credit for kind of using his pass passing quarterback as the decoy here and just running right up the middle because... Right, and it worked. And it I worked think he should have used yeah. that more in the game because obviously the passing game wasn't working. I mean, all the Steelers had to do was rush four, and they were getting pressure on Josh Allen. So, yeah, maybe try to run the ball, and every time you did, it seemed to have success against the Steelers' defense. So the one thing that I'm, I'm filing away for this Raiders game defensively is stop the run. Let's see how the Steelers do against the running game because the Raiders will try to run the ball more than the Bills did. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> The the Bills don't have Darren Waller, but the Raiders don't have a Stephon Diggs, and the the Bills didn't have a dual quarter or running back option in in Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs. So there are differences between these two teams in terms of the Steelers game planning for the Bills versus the Raiders. And I'm curious to see how with a Bills team who doesn't have much of a running game had basically just of a non-existent running game as the Steelers did in 2020, how are they going to game plan for a Raiders team who is much more reliant? I, I think I do think they're still a pass-first team. I mean, Darren Waller had 19 targets. That's an absurd number for even a wide receiver to have that many targets, but he's the tight end there. Um, I do think, though, even though they're a more pass-friendly team, a pass-first team, you're going to see a lot more of the running game incorporated Curious to see how Mike Tomlin game plans that after watching his tape on the run defense against the Bills. Yeah, and Josh Jacobs is definitely a problem when it comes to that. He's a he's a solid running back. He's much better than Devin Singletary or anybody that the Bills were going to be able to boast. You know, it is a little unfair for us to say this though, because again, I think those big gash plays that you were talking about were because of using Allen as a distraction or, or as a decoy, running the ball right up the middle. You're, you're Keith Butler in the Steelers' defense. You're probably saying, okay, we're up by 10. They've passed the ball all game long, so obviously that trend's going to continue because they need to get back into this football game, and then boom, you rip off two runs right up the middle mm -hmm. for very positive yardage, get to the Steelers' side of the field and sets them up for a field goal. So maybe you get a little caught off guard there and you weren't really expecting it, and like you said, good coaching move by Sean McDermott to take that risk and run the ball in that situation, but... I don't know. That's the only real thing you can point at and be like, well, maybe they could improve there because their coverage was phenomenal. Their their pass rush was elite. I mean, from top to bottom, it was an amazing effort. I, I can't think of, you know, we always try to say, who would be the weakest link here on this? I don't even know if 
there was a weak. I don't Lingard. think there was. I mean, you know what's incredible too is the fact that I think if Robert Spillane was out there instead of Joe Schobert, this would be a very different conversation. I don't know if the Steelers were capable of winning that game. I know, I know, Robert Spillane is just one guy, but that's a mismatch for any NFL team, and it's just incredible to, to me to see how good I thought this defense was two years ago and a year ago, and to to think it's even better now without Stephon Tuitt out there is almost unimaginable to me. That's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Thanks, as always, for listening. You can check out our work at Steelers.com, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure you download and subscribe. For Jacob Recht, I am Tom Opperman, and we will talk to you on our next episode of the Steelers Standard.